0: So, um, what I want to do is, I'm going to assume. So, you know, for the past six weeks, we've heard message after message after message about really um, articulating the difference between religion and relationship, okay? So, religion is, you know, um, men putting God in a box, setting up all these rules and regulations for how we can sort of try to climb our way up to God. Whereas, relationship says that God made a way, we do nothing, we haven't earned it, and He has paved a way for us to be adopted into His family as His sons and daughters. So, I'm going to assume that we're, by now, we're good with that, okay? You, you, you get it, like, we don't want to be over here with the religion stuff, that doesn't sound very fun. Uh, we want to be kind of over here with the, on the relationship side of things. So I'm going to assume that. So now the big question is, as we close down this series and, and move on, now what? What do we do now? We understand that we're supposed to be in this, this relationship with God, this relationship with Jesus. Well, what does it look like moving forward? Specifically, I want to talk about what does it look like to grow in your relationship with God. What does, it look, what does it mean? How do we grow? What are the mechanisms for growth? So the title of my message tonight is Miracle Grow. That's right, very clever, very proud of, of that. And so uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a story um, out of the book of John. It's the uh, you know, pretty famous story. It's the, the John chapter 11, if you wanna go ahead and turn there or tap there on your phone or whatever. And uh, it's the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And we're gonna look... Uh, at this story and, and look at the three kind of main, well, Jesus is the main character, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're gonna look at kind of the three human characters, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and look at how Jesus deals with each of them differently in ways that help them grow, that develop their faith. He treats each, each one of them very, very differently. So we're gonna look um, at that. So quick summary of the story. It's a super long passage. I'm not gonna read it all, but probably most of you know it. So there's a man named Lazarus. He dies. Jesus um, says, okay, I'm gonna come and raise this guy from the dead. He gets there and Martha comes. Out who is Lazarus's sister says, "Lord, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died." And he talks with her for a little bit, and then Mary comes out who is also Lazarus's sister. "Lord, if you had just been here, my my brother wouldn't have died." And Jesus says, "Hey, chill out. Watch what I'm about to do." Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus is alive. Everybody claps, and that's the story. That's the Mike Mike abridged version. Okay. And so uh, I'm going to read a couple of snippets, so uh, it should be up on the screen behind me, but uh, we're going to kind of march through um, some different parts of this passage and and talk about it and see uh, what God has to say to us tonight. Does that sound good? Come on. All right, John chapter 11, verse 1 through 7. So verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. So he finds out Lazarus is sick, says, hey, we're going to hang out where we are for two days. It's all part of my master plan. These two days have past. Now we're going to jump to John eleven fourteen, 14. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad, this is very important, verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, I know it's really sad, but I'm actually really glad it's working out this way because I'm going to use this as a faith-growing opportunity in all of your lives. So Jesus has set this up strategically. He knows that he's going to use this in a way that's going to develop, that's going to grow, um, that's going to strengthen faith. And so he sets that up from the very beginning. I'm glad for your sakes that it happened this way. So Jesus is letting us know. This is going to be a growth opportunity for everybody involved. So what I want to do is I've kind of got three points. Each of those points is um, sort of uh, um, focused on one of those three characters: Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. We're going to look at how um, how each of them. What is the mechanism that Jesus uses to grow them? And so we'll start with our, our friend, poor Lazarus, the the dead man, and uh, we'll we'll look at uh, at sort of um, uh, how Jesus sort of treats him. And it's it's a uh, it kind of seems a little cruel and a little heavy. And really, point one is may start off not sounding super exciting, but just bear with me. Point number one, we grow through suffering. Oh, everybody said, oh. Uh. <laughs> really uplifting, Mike. Thank you for making me listen to this at the 5 p.m. It's gonna be good, I promise. There is, some, uh, there is joy in suffering, and we're gonna see that. So Lazarus, Jesus let him suffer. Let's go back and look. If you can put verses five and six back up on the screen. Now, this is... This is a really, really challenging um, couple of verses. There's some, there's some pretty, some. This will mess with your theology a little bit. It says in verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha, loved Mary, and loved Lazarus. Okay, you kind of have that one sentence, and then you have the second sentence that when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. The big problem is that word so. So it connects those two thoughts. They are not independent clauses. They are connected. So what Jesus is saying is because I love you, Lazarus, because I love you, Mary, because I love you, Martha, I'm just going to stay and let your brother die. That's pretty heavy, right? Now, um, why would, that just seems like not the heart of God, right? To just let this man, so think about it. I mean, Lazarus, we know that Jesus has the power to heal, okay? Now, a couple things logistically. um, Jesus was about three days journey um, from where Lazarus was. Okay. So even if, so um, remember they, uh, when he finds out Lazarus is sick, he stays two days. You got to follow me on the math here. He stays two days, but he's a three day journey from where Lazarus is. So even if he would have left the moment he found out Lazarus was sick, Lazarus still would have died. Okay. But we know that Jesus doesn't have to be in the place, uh, to impart healing, right? We know the story of the, the servant of the centurion where Jesus just sent his word, and the centurion's servant was healed. Jesus doesn't have to be in proximity to to impart his healing, right? But he still stayed there for two days and let Lazarus suffer. I mean, imagine, like, Lazarus is sick and knows Jesus, knows what he's capable of, with whatever whatever ailment it was, and he just is writhing in pain and then dies. And it's like, wow, Lord, like, What is that? I don't understand, right? He let Lazarus suffer. And so um, I guess, uh, remember, we're talking about growth. So the question is, well, did, so, you know, we know the end of the story, right? Jesus ends up raising Lazarus from the dead. Well, what happened after that? Was Lazarus, did Lazarus actually grow? Did he develop? Did he launch into something? Well, we don't really know a lot about Lazarus um, from the Bible, but we actually know from early Christian literature that Lazarus went on to be a bishop in the early church, one of the most high up positions in leadership of the church. And so we know that Lazarus went from just sort of a a friend of Jesus, just kind of part of the crowd to one of the leaders, a bishop in the early church. So most definitely he grew and part of his growth was this suffering. So why? Why does God let us? Anybody ever suffered? Anybody ever been through trials and tribulations and struggles? It's not super awesome. Why? Why does God allow us to go through this? Well, there's two um, sort of main things that, uh, that God really, um, the reason that God allows us to go through suffering. And the first is this. Listen to me closely. To expand the impact of your eventual breakthrough. To expand the impact of your eventual breakthrough. Now, Again, you got to follow the math here a little bit. So uh, Jesus waits two days. Now we know, I just told you, he was a three days journey from where Lazarus was. So there was no way, even if he would have left right when he heard Lazarus was sick, he wouldn't have got there before Lazarus died, okay? So if, if he would have left the moment Lazarus died, he would have, Lazarus would have been dead a day or two. Instead, he waited two days so that when he got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Well, what in the world's the difference between someone who's been dead one day and someone who's been dead four days? If you're gonna raise him back from the dead, who cares? Just go right away, Jesus, what's the deal? No, 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 very, very strategic. And I'll tell you why, this is, Um, uh, in in first century Palestine. I mean, it's like the Middle East. It's very hot, very, um, very arid place, right? And when someone dies, you know, like here we have like refrigeration and like morgues and embalming techniques and you can have a funeral like two weeks after somebody dies and you know it's not like the the body is starting to crumble and starting to look super gross right but in those days almost immediately a body would begin to, to decompose and start to get super super yucky and so they would push to have the funeral immediately right away okay So four days. Now, here's the other thing you have to keep in mind. You know, if you've ever seen like, I don't know, Grey's Anatomy or some, or even just like been to a hospital, everybody's hooked up with all these gizmos and gadgets, right? They've got the heart rate monitor, the oxygen monitor, the whatever monitor. And, you know, you see the heart rate monitor, and it's like beep, beep, beep. And if it goes beep, then that's really bad, right? Okay. Well, they didn't have that in first century Palestine, So just imagine, it was actually pretty hard to to know when someone had actually crossed from life until death. If someone was in a coma and had really shallow breathing and a very, very faint pulse, it would be really, really hard to tell exactly when someone had died, but they're also trying to bury people right away before they start stinking. So it was actually really common, I know this is super creepy and probably gonna freak some of you out, it was very common, not very common, it was somewhat common in first century Palestine for the pallbearers, to be carrying this casket and hear like a knock from the inside, like, hey, guys, hold on a second. I'm still still alive, okay? And so in order to explain that away, um, early uh, Jewish sort of thinking was that the human spirit would actually hover over the body for three days trying to see if it was going to to re-enter the body or move on to the afterlife. And it was actually at the point that the body started to decompose that they would say yes death is officially here and this person is 100% dead so why did jesus wait for days. Why not just leave the second he finds out Lazarus is sick? Because here's the other thing you have to understand. It wasn't just Lazarus that suffered. Mary and Martha were suffering too. Their brother had just died and they were thinking like, well, Jesus can save him. Jesus can save him. But then as every day ticks on and he's not there, they're in more and more grief, more and more grief. Jesus waits four days and we know the story, right? When he says, when he says roll away the stone, Martha says, no, 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 no. Hey, he's been bed four days and by now there is a great stench so we have four days and we have early signs of decomposition. And the reason that Jesus waited those four days is because that, was, that meant that it was undisputed. There is no way that this was not a supernatural resurrection. If Jesus would have went right away and Lazarus was raised after one or two days, people would have been like, well, I mean, that's impressive, don't get me wrong. But we know that the spirit kind of hovers over the body and it could have just re-entered. But no, no, Jesus said, I'm gonna wait four days so that there is nobody who can say that this was some fluke, that this was you know, some kind of magic trick. This is a bona fide uh, injection of supernatural power into the earth that raises Lazarus from the dead, okay? Now, in order for that to happen, to maximize the impact of this miracle, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha had to suffer. And so sometimes in order to maximize the impact of what we're going through, God says you're gonna have to just bear with me, you're gonna have to suffer just a little bit. Um, After Katie and I had uh, first uh, moved here, um, you will remember this very well, I had a a very debilitating back injury. I had um, what was diagnosed as a nine millimeter right paracentral disc extrusion in my L5-S1 disc. Basically a really bulge disc that was about to explode. And so I was, and you don't, no offense, if you've never had a real back injury, like you don't know, like back pain, like serious back pain is, I was a 26-year-old man, and I was just like, oh, mm, walking about this fast, getting in and out of the car would take me 12 minutes. When I would sit down and it would be time to get up, I'd have to get myself like mentally psyched, like do some like focus breathing, like, okay. Ugh. And that was how I moved around. It was terrible. And I prayed. You know, if you think that Katie and I didn't pray every chance we got for healing, we begged God for supernatural healing. Anytime that there was, you know, um, one of the pastors here was, was uh, you know, saying, hey, lift your hand if you need healing in your body. I mean, I was just like, yes, please, me. Anytime there was a healing evangelist here, I was the first one. Well, actually, I wasn't the first one because I moved really slow. I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I was just desperate. For supernatural healing, and guess what? Didn't happen like that, and it was really frustrating. Really frustrating. It was a very, very negative impact on my quality of life. But Katie and I didn't really know what to do. We'd been praying and begging, and God just didn't seem to be moving. And so we were pretty new to the church, and I new to San Diego. Didn't know anybody. Didn't you know? I didn't know who like who to call. What doctors there were? We were brand new to the city, and I just heard about this. Chiropractor, And I didn't even know anything about chiropractic. I thought it was just wacko. And I'd heard about this guy um, from Central Campus. His name was Dr. Matt Hubbard. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll give him a call. So I called his office, made an appointment, and got to know Dr. Matt. Dr. Matt and his wife, Michaela, become, became incredibly close friends of Katie and I. They have blessed us immensely. We have learned so much from them. And while I was seeing Dr. Matt, he told me to go and uh, find like a sports massage therapist to try to open up some things to get my disc to kind of suck back in. And so through that, I met this young lady. Her name is, uh, was Issa Duarte. And uh, as I'm laying there on her table, I just invited her to C3 Church. And see, she came, she got saved, became really good friends with Katie, ended up marrying an incredible man in our church named Jim Rooney. Now her name is Issa Rooney. Just had a beautiful baby boy. And so we got to be a part of that story. We invited her to church, got to see her get saved, got to see her entire journey of, of being transformed in this church. Also also, while I was um, seeing another specialist recommended by Dr. Matt. He was this guy who was just super into like Eastern religions and Buddhism and all this stuff. And as I was laying on his table, he would ask me questions about Christianity and about Jesus. And I got to just unpack all of that for him. And listen to me. None of that would have happened if God would have answered my prayer. None of it. If God would have healed me when I just ran up in, in a moment, it would have been awesome. It would have been great. I would have loved it. But that miracle would have terminated on me. So sometimes God lets us suffer so that he can bring other people into our world that can be the beneficiaries of our miracle. And so if you're suffering right now, if you're struggling right now, if you're going through trials, if you're going through tribulations, know that God is not, fr- and listen, here I, I forgot the best part. My back is totally healed, by the way. I did get healed. I'm 100% have no problems. It just took God a lot longer than I would have liked. But you know what? I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I got to see some incredible things, got to meet some incredible people, all because God did not answer my prayer and he let me suffer just a little bit. So uh, again, suffering um, uh, expands the impact of our eventual breakthrough. Now, secondly, it teaches us to access joy always. In all things to access joy. Joy. So listen to this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, 12 through 14. It's gonna be up on the screen. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So Peter's saying, Hey, don't be surprised when some hard stuff comes your way. You should actually expect it. Okay, don't think something weird's happening. Part of life, it's coming. Plan on it. Verse 13, but rejoice. What's in the word rejoice? Joy. Rejoice means to be joyful again. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, this is a really important um, important concept, so uh, I came um, from sort of a, a church background that sort of preached this this idea of that suffering was like like a virtue, and God wanted us to suffer, and it was just part of life, and we 're in this fallen world, and we just suffer our way to death, and then praise God, then we 're in heaven, and it's awesome, but earth really sucks, and it 's terrible, and we 're just suffering, but it 's for God 's glory, He gets all the praise and we 're just suffering and, and and so I think um, if you If you think that, then when you hear this idea that we're supposed to rejoice in our suffering, we're supposed to somehow have joy, you think it's like some state of mind. Like you have to just like grit your teeth and you're like, this sucks, but I'm happy. This sucks, but I have joy. This sucks, but I have joy, right? And that's not at all, you got to understand, joy is not a manufactured state of mind. Joy is an imparted gift, Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So joy is something that is imparted to you, a free gift of God. When you are in right relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in you, joy is a fruit of the Spirit that you have access to all the time. So in some supernatural way that is really messes with our sort of finite human brains, there is a way that you can simultaneously be in suffering and simultaneously have a very real, tangible joy. There is a, I don't know who said this, I wish I could find out because I think it's a really beautiful quote, but uh, it says, "'In the great cellar of affliction, "'remember that it is there "'that the great king keeps his choicest wines.'" Charles, Charles Spurgeon said, those who dive in the, in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. So a uh, handful of you probably know this uh, story, but on Memorial Day, I woke up about 2.30 in the morning and felt a, a little weird, a little, a little pain in my side kind of tossed and turned for a little bit, tried to tough it out. And at 6.30 a.m., I was like, okay, this is not working. Katie, please wake up. I think something's wrong with me. So uh, she's like, well, let's go to the emergency room, go to the emergency room, have a CAT scan. They're like, yeah, your appendix is literally about to explode. We need to have surgery in the next 90 minutes. And so uh, I was just like a whirlwind. I was like, woke up after, like, I was, it was like after church, like woke up Monday morning and was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Emergency room, CAT scan, okay, surgery. Oh, okay, here we go. Operating room, lay down on the table, go to sleep. And then I wake up and my appendix is gone. And it was this whirlwind of a couple of days. And I think, you know, if you, if, if you look at just the circumstances outside looking in, it sucked. It hurt really bad. It was painful. It was super inconvenient. I was just like ready for like this awesome Memorial Day party, going to have fun, go do something awesome. It was incredibly inconvenient for my work. It put me out of commission for several days. It was expensive. I had medical bills. It was really, you know, sort of outside looking in really pretty terrible, but you can ask Katie because she was there the whole time. I am not making this up. It was one of the most joyful times of my life. I found myself overwhelmed with gratitude, so thankful for modern medicine that like they could even do the stuff they're doing. I was like, praise God for doctors, praise God for CAT scan machines. I was thankful that it wasn't something worse. I was thankful that I have a beautiful wife that was there by my side to see me through this when I came out of anesthesia. Two of my great friends, um, Andy Pugh and uh, Nick Selton, were there when I woke up. And I was like, God, praise God for incredible friends that are just, you know, there so that I'm not lonely when I wake up and in some weird place. I was just so thankful. And listen, this is not some like power of positive thinking thing, okay? I am not a positive person. (laughs) I may be like the most negative person you've ever met, okay? So this is not like Mike just being like, okay, I'm gonna find the good in this situation. No, no, no. There is something supernatural that happened to me where because of joy being imparted to me as a fruit of the Spirit, somehow even in this really wretched circumstance, I found myself filled with joy, and that is a miracle. And every single one of us, when you go through suffering, when you go through trials, you actually have access to real joy, so every, um, at the end of every year, Katie and I kind of do this, this thing. We just, you know, kind of like a year in review. We always uh, try to get away, like just get a hotel room somewhere in town for the night or maybe even get away for a weekend somewhere else and just kind of sit down and, and take inventory of, of the previous year and then look at the year coming up. And I remember um, four or five years ago, I don't remember exactly what it was, we, we sat down and we're like, okay, well, you know, Let's, let's talk about it. What did you, you think of this last year? And I remember us both just being like, gosh, it was a great year. Unbelievable, like just feel so blessed. Just God, so thankful for all that God is doing. So thankful for all he's got us a part of. Gosh, just praise God for how blessed we are. And then we actually like started thinking about the year and it was a terrible year. <laughs> we had extreme financial duress I got a, uh, this is about to get really heavy. I got a phone call from my mom um, just on like a random Tuesday. And she said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm about to take my own life. And I just was calling to say goodbye. And I was like, "Uh, what? And so I had to talk to my mom on the phone while I'm texting Katie, trying to get her to call 911 to get 911. She was calling 911 in San Diego trying to get police to my mom's house in Texas. And I'm like, just talking to my mom, texting Katie. It was one of the most stressful things I've ever been through. We went through, and and by the way, my mom was healed completely. She's, uh, just uh, crushing life right now, so the story. But in the moment, it was awful. We had to fly to Texas and, and go see her in this psychiatric institute and try to, to pray with her and, and, and walk her through this. Um, we dealt with some incredibly difficult drug addiction on Katie's side of the family that was unbelievably destructive and heavy. It was just a really rough year. But how crazy is it that when we got to the end of the year and we were like, man, what do we think about this last year? We were just like, man, it was so great. God was so faithful, Like we felt so blessed, so loved by God. That is not just the power of positive thinking. That is a supernatural transaction where somehow, simultaneously, you can be struggling, you can be suffering and have access to real, tangible joy. Real joy. And so God lets us suffer to expand the impact of our eventual breakthrough and so that um, we will learn to access joy in all things. So that's our man, Lazarus. Lazarus grew through suffering, point one. We good? All right. Point two and three are a lot shorter, so just uh, <laughs> nobody panic. Everybody calm down. So Martha, let's talk about old, old Martha. Good old Martha. So we'll look at uh, John 11, 20 through 27, should be on the screen. So we're just kind of marching through the story. So again, remember, Jesus finds out Lazarus is sick, says, hey, let's hang out two days, let Lazarus suffer and die because I love him so much, somehow. Um, that makes sense. And so then he goes to, uh, to Bethany, the town where Lazarus is. And, uh, and then he, as he shows up, as he's walking into town, this is where we pick it up, where he's confronted by Martha. Verse 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Um, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. So for Martha, the mechanism for her growth, point number two, is that we grow through a revelation of the truth. A revelation of the truth. Now, um, that word truth in our culture um, is, oh Lord, it's a... uh, it's become so bastardized and diluted. It's like, I don't even know what it means anymore. And you hear things like some of the most asinine things in the world, like, you know, I just, I just don't really identify with that truth. You know, I think, I think we all need to find our own truth. You know, just things like, and I'm the, I don't even know what to say to that. That just doesn't even, that's logically incoherent. It makes no sense, Okay. <laughs> And the way that I'll illustrate the point um, is uh, there was a, an, uh, an airline flight, Aero Peru Flight 603, left Miami, Florida at midnight flying to Lima, Peru. And uh, so, again, this is a red-eye flight flying over the Gulf of Mexico at night So pitch black, okay, you're flying over a black ocean under a black sky, nothing to see. Might as well like had the windows just totally shaded up. You're not flying at all by sight, you're flying off of your instrumentation, okay? Now, there was a malfunction in the altimeter. The altimeter is the device that tells you the altitude of the aircraft, how high up you are. And so there was a malfunction where the altimeter was telling the pilots that they were flying at an altitude of 10,000 feet. When in actuality, they were actually only a few hundred feet off the surface of the ocean. So the pilots believed that they were 10,000 feet off the surface of the ocean. And they operated the plane as if they were 10,000 feet above the surface of the ocean. But the truth, the reality was that they were only a few hundred feet above the surface of the ocean. And so tragically, what happened was they went to turn the aircraft and the right wing tip literally hit the Pacific Ocean and the airplane just was annihilated. Everybody was killed. Very, very tragic. And so you see, if we, yeah, that, got, that was a little dark. Wow. Hey, it's a serious point, okay? Very serious point. But you see, if we, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. But if what you believe is not in alignment with the truth and you operate your life in accordance to some belief, then you you very well may end up exactly like that flight where you are operating and making maneuvers based on a belief that is not in alignment with the truth. And so so Martha, Martha um, was grew as a result of a revelation of the truth. And so if we look at the... Um, at the the dialogue that she has with Jesus. You know, Um, she says, Lord, if you'd just been here, my brother wouldn't have died, right? And Jesus says, very plainly, he says, um, your brother will rise again. No reason not to believe that he wasn't talking about right now. No reason to believe, like there's nothing in that language that is talking about some deep theological concept about the end times and, you know, nothing like that. Literally just said, your brother will rise again. But she defaulted to a position of faithlessness and said, oh, yes, I know, and went to her theology, to her orthodox, and said, yes, I know that on the last day, you know, he will rise. And Jesus said, no, 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 you missed it. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And so, he, so she was confronted with the real truth of who Jesus was. And here's what's so incredible. What she says um, immediately after, and this is so beautiful. You know, everybody gives Martha a really, really hard time. But what, just, what, what she does next is actually incredibly beautiful, incredibly powerful. She immediately has a confession of faith. And in 1127, uh, she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, that should, if you know your Bible, sound a little familiar, it sure sounds an awful lot like what Peter said in Matthew 16:16, 16, 16, where Jesus said, hey, you know, disciples, who's everybody, what's everybody saying that I am? And, so, and some of them are like, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, um, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did, what did Martha say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now what happened to Peter right after was Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And then he gives him the keys to the kingdom of heaven, makes him the very first pope of the Christian church. The church was built on the back of Peter that was built on the back of his confession of faith that was built on the back of a revelation of the truth, of a revelation of the truth. And so that's exactly what happened to Martha. She defaulted to her orthodox, defaulted to a position of faithlessness, but Jesus confronts her with the truth and says, yes, I believe, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. How incredible is that? Way to go, Martha. Give it up for Martha. Martha coming through in the clutch you know she just really gets uh just it's got a bad rap but i think we need to you know way to go martha we're proud of you and what about sweet mary point number three sweet sweet mary always at the feet of jesus everybody loves mary people give martha our time everybody loves mary well, let's look at, uh, at this interaction with, with Mary. So um, after Jesus has spoken with, with Martha, then um, he finds himself face-to-face with Mary. We'll pick it up in John 11, verse 32, as we come to a close here. Uh, Verse 32, then when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35, the shortest verse in the the Bible, Jesus wept. And so for Mary, um, she was confronted with the compassion of, of Jesus, And so we grow through suffering like we saw in the case of Lazarus. We grow through um, revelations of the truth like we saw through Martha. And we grow through an encounter with the compassion of the living God as was the case with Mary. Now, I think there is um, something interesting that's very subtle in this passage. So Martha and Mary both say, have the exact same um, response to Jesus, like literally verbatim, word for word, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both say the exact same thing. Now, there is one really subtle difference. It says that Mary fell to her feet or fell at the feet of Jesus, rather, and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Doesn't say that about Martha. Now, again, not knocking on Martha, but, she Yes, I am. I, I am. I'm sorry, Martha. She approached Jesus face-to-face on his level and said, Lord, and, and not, she wasn't indignant, but she was also sort of challenging, like, Lord, where were you? She's questioning and interrogating. If you had just been here, my brother would not have died, right? Now, Mary approaches things a little bit differently. She falls at the feet of Jesus in a position of worship, acknowledging his sovereignty, acknowledging that he is all-knowing, and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it, and it elicits a total... Totally different response from Jesus. Instead of the the you know kind of almost a rebuke from Jesus to Martha and this revelation of the truth, Jesus weeps. His compassion comes out, and it's really important. Um, this uh, this verse, Jesus wept, is um, for being such a short verse has, has has garnered a lot of sort of attention and a lot of academic study. And what does it mean? What was he crying for? Were his tears like supernatural holy? Te- were they holy water? Da 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 da, and so. Um, there's some, as you, you look into it, I think the, the sort of um, uh, easiest interpretation is that he was sad. He was sad that his friend Lazarus was dead. He was sad that that he was seeing Mary and Martha so sad. Um, but that's that's not it. Now, first of all, it doesn't make any sense that he would be sad for Lazarus. Like he knows he's about to raise him from the dead in 30 seconds, okay? So he's not crying for Lazarus. He's, he's like, I'm gonna see you in here in a couple minutes, right? And And if you... And if we think that he was um, crying because he was sad for Mary and Martha, there's a clue in verse 33 that would say you know, probably not. It says, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And if you look at different English translations of the Bible, it actually, there's, there's a lot of differences in the way that that's translated because it's really difficult to translate that into our modern English language. And really, um, a, probably the, the best translation that I heard was he was deeply outraged in the spirit and troubled. Jesus was not sad. Sadness is like, I'm empathetic. Oh, my heart hurts that your heart hurts. Oh, this is so terrible. That was not Jesus. He was outraged. He looked and he saw his friend dead. He saw these women that he loved mourning and sad. And he said, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I am angry i am righteously angry that death has come into the world that it's wreaking havoc on the people that i created that is destroying these people that i love now here's the beautiful thing compassion all by itself is nice but it's it's just empathetic it can't do anything compassion must be coupled with power and if you just have power with no compassion then all you are is a tyrant you will take advantage of people, you will abuse people. But Jesus had both supernatural compassion and supernatural power. So when he was outraged at the death of Lazarus, outraged at the grief, outraged at the destruction that death had caused, he did something about it and said, Lazarus, come forth, because he can, because he has the power to do it. And uh, I'm gonna give you a little, um, quick little physics lesson, okay? What, what is power? I'm gonna tell you exactly what it is. In, like, in engineering, like, we measure power. It is, a, it is a quantity that we measure and it's based on a quantity that's called work. Okay? And in physics, work is a force applied across a distance. And power is the rate at which you do that. So power is just work per unit time. So if I move something from here to here slowly, and then I move something from here to here fast, the same amount of work was done, I just did it more powerfully. So literally, all that power means is getting stuff done fast. The power of God can make things happen fast. What chemotherapy may be able to fix in nine months of ravaging your body, God can fix in an instant because he is powerful. What years of therapy and counseling, and those are all good things, what they can fix in, with years and, and thousands of dollars, God can fix in an instant because he is all powerful. You have to have both compassion and power. In Psalm uh, 34, verse 18, um, it says that uh, God is near the brokenhearted. And I remember reading that verse at a particular point in my life where I was indeed very brokenhearted. It was one of the lowest points of my life. And I remember being so angry reading that. What good is that, that you're near? I don't need you to be near. I need you to do something. And I felt the the gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit just say, hey, why don't you just keep reading? And so the rest of verse 18, because I stopped halfway through because I got so mad, was he is near the brokenhearted and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. We serve a God that is both compassionate and mighty to save, cares for you, but is also able to do something about it. That is the God that we serve. And so we see through this this incredible story and you know at, at, we, we we know the story right jesus says hey roll away the stone lazarus come forth and they were a part of this incredible miracle this 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 um, Event this that has been written about. I mean, here we are 2,000 plus years later, and I'm talking about it. That's how powerful it was in the history of humanity. All because of Jesus orchestrating this event, allowing Lazarus to suffer, allowing Mary and Martha to suffer, having these conversations, and then healing, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead in an undisputed miracle, a true resurrection.